Week after week, we hear about suspects slipping through the cracks. We hear about leads that aren't followed. We hear about cases that become cold even though it doesn't seem they should. If there were only an independent group that could come in to save the day, kind of like the Justice League, well, a group now exists to do just that. And you hear from its Batman today. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Life imitates art, art imitates life. And it's sometimes hard to determine which is which. Do our phones just happen to look like Star Trek tri-recorders, or did engineers rip off that sci-fi series? Did grunge music come about because there was a shift in musical taste, or did people's taste shift due to the music? Who knows? These are the thoughts that came to mind as I talked to Detective Kenneth Maines, founder and president of ASOC, the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases. Although I didn't ask him explicitly, I wonder if he took his cues from the Justice League, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, the X-Men, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, all fictional groups made up of the best and brightest, people with special powers who, uh, assemble to fight the evils of the Earth, the universe, and other dimensions. Because that's what Detective Maines has done. Since 2013, he has brought together an impressive group of people who I'm sure you've heard of, with the intention of getting these special people to look at cold cases as a group instead of individually. It's such a great idea, it's a wonder it hasn't been done before. Because within art, the idea has been there for a long time. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, Detective Kenneth Maines, president and founder of the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases. Kenneth, thank you for joining Unfound. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Kenneth, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself and about the organization. Uh, my name's Kenneth Maines. Uh, I've been in law enforcement and a detective for about 15 years, and that has included stops as a patrol officer, uh, a task force officer with the FBI, a detective working cold cases with the district attorney's office. And uh, I currently uh, do that in addition to being uh, in charge of our undercover narcotics unit for the uh, county in Pennsylvania. And how did this organization, how did, why did you think it needed to be started and how did you put it all together? The American Investigative Society of Cold Cases, it got started in uh, 2013 when I was working a cold case of my own. It was the murder of uh, Gail Matthews, uh, who was 23, and her five-year-old daughter, Tamara Burkheiser. Um, they were murdered September 1st, uh, 1994 at uh, 812 Center Street in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And uh, I got that cold case, and... I've been working on that for nine years currently, but at the time I had gotten about six months into it and I got stuck mm. and I've never gotten stuck in a case before. And it was a very heart wrenching uh, moment for me. Yeah. And I was looking for somewhere to turn and where do you go? Where do detectives go when they get stumped? 
I know one thing that wasn't going to happen was I wasn't going to put that case back in a drawer where it had been um, and remain cold. So I started looking for people to reach out to, and I found out there was very few. So I realized there had to be other detectives that encountered this problem that I was going to create my own organization, and so no detective ever got stuck again. So up until that point, you'd been obviously in law enforcement for many years. That's something that never came to your mind, but that was the case that kind of put you on the path to starting this. Yeah, it wasn't my first cold case, but it was Mm. the first cold case where I got stuck. And that put me into the path of, hey, we need an organization in this country to look at cases so that detectives, when they get stumped, they don't just put the case back away and and it gets forgotten about. And I wanted a multidisciplinary look at the case. Homicide detectives don't know everything. Um, Mm. DNA experts don't know everything. You have to get everybody to look at it through a different vision, through their own eyes, and give you suggestions. And then that way you have all those disciplines looking at it and giving suggestions. And as a detective, that's all you want in a case is to have another lead. Speaking of different disciplines, tell the listeners a little bit about the other people besides yourself and their backgrounds, if you could. Well, um, I wanted to form the society with members from law enforcement, uh, homicide detectives, behavioral uh, specialists like Mark Safarik, Jim Clemente, both former FBI criminal profilers, uh, Mary Ellen O'Toole, who's also a former FBI behavioral uh, profiler, but also pathologists like Warner Spitz and Cyril Weck, who we have, and DNA experts like Susanna Ryan and criminologists like Henry Lee, um, Laura Petler, who does our crime scene stuff, and Bob Kepler, who, you know, he solved the 10, bu- 10 Buddy murder. So, I mean, we just get all the best. And that's what it was like for me. I just started researching who the best was, reading their publications, um, talking to them, seeing if their vision was the same as mine, and then bringing them on board. That's That's an impressive list. I mean, anybody who's into crime or unsolved mysteries or things like that, they're going to recognize named Sarah Weck, of course, even going way back to the JFK assassination. And then Henry Lee, probably most well-known from the O.J. Simpson case. Um, that's interesting. You were be able to get all those people together. I mean, that's that's like an all-star team, I guess you'd call it, like, like some sort of superhero team or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, I forgot to mention uh, Joe Kenda from uh, oh, the Discovery's uh, Homicide Hunter great homicide detective and yeah it was like uh they believed in what i was pitching to them Mm. and that's what brought them on board i believe they just they understood the vision the passion and the need to have a cold case unit nationally with big names so we could get cases from law enforcement and solve them right I mean, it, now that you're almost, I guess you're almost four years into this, you started this in 2013. Um, it's probably one of those things where people are now saying, now that you know these people, why didn't somebody think of this before, right? <laughs> well, you know, I know the VDOC Society has been around uh, a long time, and they're, they are similar to us. Um, 
and they do great things as well. And to me, there can never be enough cold case units to help people. That that is certainly true. Um, so how does it work? You have this organization. Uh, do you, you don't go out and look for cases? Law enforcement agencies submit cases to you. Let the listeners know how that all works. Yeah, how that works is law enforcement. We take cases right now only from law enforcement. The reason being is they have the complete file. That way, as we review the case, you're not going on conjecture. You're not going off of secondhand information. You're going off of facts that are in the police report. So that is the reason that we get it from law enforcement. Once I get that case, we put it in an electronic format. We scan it all, put it on a secure server, and then I send it out to my experts and give them a deadline and say, hey, you know, give me your thoughts, your opinions, what you see you know, by a certain date. We get all that back in from all the different disciplines, and then we encompass that into one great big uh, final report, which is given back to law enforcement for them to follow up on. And how long does uh, something like that usually take? I mean, maybe it depends on the the case or whatever, but but generally, how long would a summation by your group, how long would that take? Usually three to six months uh, to do a thorough and accurate review. And you do just murder cases. I, I, my, the, you should know, Unfound is all about missing people. Of course, some of those people may be murdered. We just don't know. But uh, you just do out-and-out out murders where a body is found or where you do cases where it's a disappearance but it's suspected that there is a murder the body just hasn't been found yeah we do both we do disappearances um we our very first or second case was a disappearance of uh two gentlemen out in uh, i believe california area so yeah i mean we we do it all i mean we're not going to do um you know theft of uh art gallery Okay, I understand. Or or unsolved homicides. Okay, and how many cases would you say you get submitted uh, to you, your organization, per year? And what are the percentage? What are the odds of a case getting picked up by you? I'm going to guess that you get quite a few submissions, and you can't take all of them, I'm guessing. Well, uh, we get probably four to six a year. At least that's the one that oh, okay. we, we take and we look at. And uh, we have seen something that detectives, uh, the reviewers have seen something that the original investigator missed or overlooked in every single case. And that's why mm. I think it's important to have a different set of eyes look at things. Right. Right. Uh, did this... Let's talk about this for a second, and I had this in my notes uh, that I sent to you. How would you define a cold case? I mean, that's two words that get thrown out a lot in the missing persons community. You hear it on TV. Of course, there's shows with that name. What to you is the meaning of a cold case? To me, a cold case is generally just a case that has uh, no resolution to it. And what I mean by that is, let's say someone is is innocent and they're in jail or there's an there's real doubt of whether they're guilty but they're in jail to me that that's still a cold case and we'll look at those um to go with the general 
term that cold cases are also, you know, cases like I discussed earlier, Gail yeah. Matthews and her daughter Tamara, where that's a cold case. So basically to me, when it's unresolved and there's still issues lingering, to me it's a cold case. So it, it doesn't like depend on like how old the case is. Like a, let's say there's a case that's five years old and there's been no no suspects have come forward, no evidence. That even though it's like five years old, which wouldn't be that old, it could still be considered to be a cold case because I think sometimes people think what well, has to do with a certain age of case. Right, and I don't think you can put a number on what a cold case is or not. It, to me, it doesn't matter if it's three weeks or it's three decades because there's a family member somewhere who after three weeks believes that it's a cold case. So to them it is. Okay. Um, would there be some cases out there that, that have been solved because of your organization that the listeners might be familiar with? A couple that, um, obviously you mentioned the one that got the organization started, but can you go on the record to talk about a couple cases that were solved because of your organization's help? Well, we keep that pretty uh, tight-lipped. The reason being is we leave that up to the uh, agency uh, that okay. submitted us the case. Uh, we let them do all that to take all the credit or whatever they want to do. Uh, okay. To do, and we just review the cases for them. Uh, but you, you can say that some of the cases that you've looked into, have there been convictions in at least a few of them? Um, to be honest with you, I, I don't know, because like okay. I said, once we submit that, we really don't follow up on it any further, uh, because it's on to the next case for us. We just get them back and let them, you know, do their own thing with it. Okay. And this is, um, this is a, a service that you provide for free that you're all volunteers, yeah. right? Correct. It's a pro bono service. We also have a laboratory uh, that we use the MVAC system. It's a, it's a new way of collecting DNA, and uh, it collects more DNA than the traditional swabbing. Um, we use that a lot, and we do that pro bono for law enforcement too because I know how labs are, and private labs will often take things that a state lab will not. And but the private labs cost money. So the police departments might not have those resources. Well, I'm saying give it to us and we'll do it for free. Uh, we have a partnership set up with uh, Bodhi Technology, which is one of the biggest uh, DNA labs in the country. And mm -hmm. they work with us to do pro bono testing on evidence as well. Wow. So you, you do it for free and you have volunteers. I mean, it's, I mean, and like I said before, you have some well-known people in your organization. I mean, really committed people. I think that's good for people to know that people uh, will do that. You know, you'd think because DNA testing obviously is not cheap and right, right. that you can get something like that done uh, pro bono or for free, uh, obviously, is a great benefit to both the, both the police departments and the families who uh, want uh, you know justice in some of these cases. Uh, in your experience regarding cold cases, what do you think it ends up being the biggest roadblock to getting some of these uh, things solved? Is it a lack of DNA, a lack of, uh, you know, uh, you know, witness. I mean, it may depend on the case, but what do you, what do you think about that? What's your impressions? Well, some, sometimes it is resources. Sometimes it is money. 
Um, but a lot of times, people have to understand when a detective gets a case, uh, a homicide case, they work that diligently to begin with. But then once you follow up all the leads and you're not going anywhere or the tips stop coming in, that case gets pushed to the side of your desk a little bit because you still have the robberies coming in. You still have the thefts coming in. Uh, you still have all these other work that's coming in. And eventually that murder case goes from your desk into a drawer and it eventually is, you know, forgotten about. And so sometimes it's just, you know, the resources, you, you don't have the manpower and the crime keeps coming in. And that's the reason cases go cold. Now it's my job to go and get those cases out of the file and mm. get life back into them. And with the advent of all the social media stuff, podcasts, that's what we do in general. And I think that helps get these cold cases going and get solved. How about, I mean, this would have been probably a lot more difficult for you 20, like five years ago before DNA, uh, maybe before cell phones could track people, things like that. Obviously, if you're looking, maybe you have looked at some cases that go way back I guess they have a lot less information than more recent ones. I'm going to guess. Yeah, there's uh, there's less information sometimes, but I'm here to tell you I've looked at many cases from the 60s and 70s, and those uh, police officers did hard work. They did what they did mm -hmm. use what they had at that time, whether it be plaster castings of footprints, whether it's just hair evidence or blood typing they still did the job and uh, they still did it well. And, you know, whether it was 1968 or present day, we use the same technologies as a gumshoe detective and to solve cases. Cases aren't just solved on DNA. Yeah. People get lazy because of that. You can't just rely on that. You still have to follow up. You got to do interviews. Um, you have to do backgrounds, victimology checks, suspectology checks, all those things to incorporate into solving a case. Okay. Um, next up, I want to talk about you have some publications and some books. What you uh, what can you tell the listeners a little bit about, about them? Let's start with the first one, Solving the Unsolved. What is that book about, and uh, what can you tell the listeners? Solving the Unsolved was an ensemble cast of ASOC members who got together and wrote a chapter about maybe a significant cold case uh, that they worked, or like Cyril Weck wrote about, you know, uh, mm. his profession of pathology and important uh, things that he does in order to solve cold cases as well. That book is, uh, it's all pro bono, and all the money from that book goes back into the organization to help run our lab and things like that. So we try to do one of those uh, every year or two. That was the first one, and we're working on uh, getting another one developed, and uh, hopefully by next year. So what, what is the content of the book? So that's not about cases you've actually looked at, but just about solving right. cold cases in, in general. Yep, it's, it's about solving cold cases in general. A little bit of... Uh, cases in there, not necessarily that our organization has worked, okay. but um, that somebody has looked at in their career. And also um, kind of like a how-to on some things by uh, Mark Safarik. He did a chapter, I believe, on the elderly um, 
being targeted by serial killers and things like mm. that. So there's different things in within that book that would keep people's interest. Uh, and where and people can find that book on Amazon or yeah, they can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or uh, our ASOC website www.asoc.com. Okay, well I'll make sure the listeners go there. Uh, next. I unfortunately in my notes did not write it all out, but the JCCR, what, how is this different from the book? What is, what is that? That's a, uh, academic journal mm-hmm. uh, that our people will put together. It basically is statistics, research, uh, things like that. That's just like a normal publication of a journal. And, uh, we are the first of our, uh, uh, genre, I guess, for cold cases to have such a journal. And is that something that can be purchased, or do you subscribe to that? Or, or if listeners were wondering about that, how it, can they look at it too? What is that? Yeah, that's that's on our website uh, okay. as well. It's up there for uh, everyone to view. And then we're, our newsletter, the Crucible, right. is just for uh, paying members that are members of our organization. Okay, the Crucible is a newsletter that regular people can't get, or you can sign up for. That's or, correct. oh, okay. Well, you'd have to be a member of uh, ASOC, and in general, um, people can be general members of our organization if they want to support uh, the cold case stuff that we do. You know, they can go onto our website. Yeah, please tell the listeners about. Yeah, please tell them about that right now. How they could become a member, please. Yeah, they they just go to our website. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. There's a page on there. Uh, you fill out an application and pay our yearly dues. And you can become a general member, which gives you access to the newsletter. It also gives you um, discounted rates at our conferences, uh, future workshops. And you can volunteer for the many things that we do. I mean, we... The cases that we take in that we have to scan, as you can imagine, sometimes that's a lot of work. Yes. Um, yes. We do outreach to uh, victims' family members, so there's a lot of volunteer things that we can we can do as well. Okay, and you mentioned uh, the conferences. Uh, what goes on there? How often do those uh, happen? And and what would somebody see if they went to one of those? Well, we're in our fourth, having our fourth annual conference uh, this June 25th through the 27th in St. Louis, Missouri. Our keynote speaker this year will be Warner Spitz. Uh, great, great guy. Um, we'll have Dr. Uh, Catherine Ramsland presenting, Joe Kennedy, who is a cold case expert, um, Laura Petler. Um, and what we do there for the first two days is Everybody is welcome to, to attend. It, you'll see a presentation on cold cases uh, or something related to cold cases. And on the third day, we have law enforcement that comes in and presents us with their cold cases. And usually it's we do probably three or four uh, presentations that only the members of ASOC would be able to attend. So these would be so what you're saying is the the police agencies bring in these cases that are real cases that are unsolved cold cases right now and that's what you'd be doing at the conference as well. It's more than just presentations, it's actually real world stuff as well. Correct, but that well, that is on the third day and that's mm, closed to the general public as just okay. for 
our us ASOC Consulting and Review Board members. The, but the first two days, you'll learn all about cold cases and the people that solve them, um, what goes into, how you should do it, um, and things like that. And it's it's very uh, informative. And how would somebody go get to go to one of these conferences? How do you how do you get to go? Uh, go to go on our ASOC website. Everything's run through that website, and you okay. just fill out the registration, pay the fee, and uh, show up on game day, and we'll be there to greet you. Okay. Well, the reason I asked that, yeah. I, I originally lived in Las Vegas, and I know sometimes when they have like conferences in Las Vegas, it's really limited to just people like within a certain industry, like they'll have the automotive conference, right. like SEMA or something where only retailers, your average car buff can't just walk in there. I guess that's what I was asking you. If Yeah, people- we have that. Um, that has been brought up uh, in discussion. Um, but I shot that down because mm. I'll tell you why is, well, like I said, cool cases affect everybody not yeah. just law enforcement. So how am I going to tell a victim's family member that they cannot attend my conference? I would yeah. never do that. Just, okay. just like when they email me, I get hundreds of emails from victims' family members who want help, and I never say no to them, and I never will, because that is who you work for. That is the person. When you mm. go to their house and you stare in their eyes and you see the grief, and they put their entire faith and you, you solve this case, and it's a great responsibility. But it's a it's a responsibility that I embrace, and that's what I do. And so I open that conference up to everybody to come in and learn and see how the cold cases affect people. Great, thank you for that. And you know, and that's probably where I was going to go uh, next in this discussion because, you know, I've had the opportunity in the last six months to probably interview about. 40 different family members of people who have disappeared and mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, you know, and, and children of parents who have disappeared. And I have to admit, uh, Ken, that I hear a lot of complaints about the police. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. And, and this has to do with disappearances. Um, are there complaints? I know that you feel for the victims and I know what you're doing. Do you think in some cases they do have a right to gripe in some cases that not enough work? Okay. Sure. Absolutely. A hundred percent. My very first cold case was a missing person. Uh, Her name was Dawn Marie Miller and she went missing from my department that I worked in for 10 years. And I never knew that we had a missing person. I ran across her name on a, the Doe network website Huh. And it said she was missing from my department. She had been missing for 15 years. And I was floored because I worked there. I didn't know we had a missing person. Oh, my. So I went and asked my, my captain, and he didn't know. Long story short is I got the records. I asked if I could look into the case. And at the time, I was an narco- undercover narcotics cop. So I had long hair and earrings. And I certainly didn't look like the traditional uh, detective that would be investigating this. But I did it. And to this day, which is now, I don't know, 15 years later, I'm still in contact with Don Miller's mother, who mm-hmm. absolutely is overjoyed that someone took the time to actually look for her daughter. And I got two suspects, the one 
uh, hung himself shortly after I interviewed him. Oh but uh, she knows now who did it. She knows how it happened. And for her, that's what she wanted, and she was happy. And the police did not do a good enough job. They, they let it go, and I've seen it firsthand. Why? I, I know you can't speak for any other police department but your own, but why do you think that happens? What, what happens, do you think? Well, well I don't know, it, because I think it's individualism. Uh, I tell a lot of people, I don't, I don't have uh, you know, a master's degree, or, but I have a PhD in determination, and I think good detectives have that. They, they just push further, and you know, for me, it's the same thing. You come up to an obstacle, it's easy to just back off and go back home and let the case die. But no, we're supposed to go through that wall. We have to push through and dig deeper to solve the case. That's what we do. And, but not everybody's like that. And so I think that's why sometimes the cases don't get solved. They just, there's not enough resolution, determination, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, some people have it. Some people don't. Yeah. What is in your opinion, the number one thing that we could do in the United States, not just in your department, but in law enforcement in the United States, to make the 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 solving or at least the the coverage of cold cases better? Realistically, I mean, if we, I suppose, if we added like a hundred thousand more detectives, I suppose that would. But realistically, what what needs to be done that that can be better? Well, that's a tough question. Because uh, sometimes it, some cases are getting done by the right people, putting forth the right amount of determination and effort. But I think, I think there needs to be more cold cases regionally throughout the United States that are dedicated on working just cold cases. Like I said, because a regular detective has, continues to have work coming in. But as a cold case detective, you have the luxury of not being bothered by any other crimes. You're not hampered by uh, having to do it right now. You take mm -hmm. your time. And I think if we had more regionalized cold case units throughout the United States, that more cold cases would get solved. And that number of uh, 200,000 cold cases would dwindle. That is that is an insane number. I mean, I know the United States is a huge country, over 300 million people here, but that's an incredible amount of cases that you know sit out there that are unsolved and are just sitting there. It's uh, it's disheartening, you know, but you just got to chip away with what you can do and help one family member at a time. Right, right. I do have to ask you, being the listeners know that I'm originally from Pennsylvania. How did ASOC? end up being in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, of all places? Because I would think that when you see the name, you think, oh, this is something out of New York or L.A., out <laughs> where everybody just knows the little, you know, the little League World Series. How did it end up being in Williamsport? Well, it ended up in Williamsport because that's where I work. Oh, okay. you know, I work for the district attorney's office in Lycoming County, Williamsport. So it was only natural that the base run out of where I was since I was the president and founder. Okay. Anything else? That's a, that's a simple answer. Okay. That's the, well, that's, it's interesting. Cause I know I have a lot of listeners are going to go to your site. They're going to look you up and then they're going to see Williamsport and they're going to be like, wow, that's how I, you know, that's out in the hills of Pennsylvania. I've been to Williamsport. My parents have been there too for the little league world series. So I know that 
you know, not the place you'd exactly expect to find an organization that's centered, has all these people, including yourself, impressive credentials trying to do something like this. It's just, I guess you just yeah, wouldn't yeah. expect that. What would you like to tell the listeners uh, before I let you go today, Ken? Uh, a couple things. One, I would say that uh, I have a, a new book coming out on some of the cold cases that I worked, and it'll be out on May 24th. It's from uh, Wild Blue Press, and I'll have a book signing June 1st at Duquesne University at Cyril Wex wow. uh, Forensic Institute. And at the same time, that, that book signing will be done in honor of Dr. Henry Lee, who will be there and is being honored by the best in forensics. Michael Bott and Cyril Weck will all be there, and I'll be having my book signing there. It's called The Detective, and I will chronicle about five cases in there, including my first cold case, Don Marie Miller, but it's also a biographical, uh, autobiographical portrayal of how you can succeed, and to me, that's more important in life is no matter where you start out, don't let anyone tell you that you can't accomplish it because you can. You just go through the obstacle. You keep pushing. You keep pushing until you get where you want to be in life. And all my life, I wanted to be a detective and work on cold cases. And I'm there. So if I can do it with my upbringing and the, the problems that I had as a youth, anybody can do it. And people should know. I looked up your bio on the website. You were you were you're United States Marine. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You you never you, you right. Once you're in the Marines, you're never an ex Marine, right? You're always a Marine, right? I have, That's right. Right. And how Marine many how many years did you serve, sir? I served four years. Okay. Oh, did you Semper do any Fi. Semper Fi? Yeah. I'm, I've never been in the military, but yes, please. <laughs> Well, um, so you're going to have this book signing. That book will be available on Amazon as well and in a, a bookstore uh, near everybody. Um, Ken, thank you for uh, being on this episode of Unfound. I deeply appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, to all the family members of victims, uh, truly uh, heartfelt apologies and sincere uh Whatever I can ever do to help any of you, um, please don't hesitate. I get a lot of requests, but I'll never say no. All right. You've heard it, listeners. Uh, uh, an excellent uh, policeman out there, investigator, detective out there, trying to do good work for families out there. It's good to talk to you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And that was my interview with Detective Kenneth Maines, president and founder of ASOC, the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases. How can you not get excited for the prospect of future cold cases getting solved with a guy like that spearheading an important organization like ASOC? You just wish there were more people like Kenneth Maines who didn't just think about doing something because Detective Ken did something and he continues to do it. And not from Gotham, but from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Once again, all the information regarding Detective Maines and ASOC www.aisocc.com. They have a Twitter account at the ASOC, T H E A I S O C C. ASOC, of course, has a Facebook page I'd like you to like and follow. And Detective Maines has a book that just came out, a new book. And it's called Unsolved No More. You can find it on Amazon and elsewhere. 
I would urge some of you, if not all of you, to check his new book out. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to this special episode of Unfound. Unfound.